Take your Bibles and go to Mar- uh, Matthew chapter 5. 45 years ago, if you would have asked somebody who the dominant people were, the dominant yeah, group of people were is in the world of ma- uh, watchmaking, then the answer would have been the Swiss. I grew up hearing about Swiss watches and how they were great. And one of the reasons that uh, the Swiss were so dominant in the world of watchmaking is because they were always in the process of refining what they did. You may not believe it. You may not really have put much thought to it. But at the turn of the century, watches, I'm told, I wasn't alive. I'm talking about the 1900s. They didn't have second hands and they didn't have minute hands even. And the Swiss were the ones, I'm told, who perfected those things about watches like springs and winding mechanisms and all of those kinds of deals. By 1968, the Swiss had pretty much cornered the market on the watch industry. If you were to ask somebody in 1968, as we move into the 21st century, who do you see as the bright shining star in the world of watchmaking, they would have said the Swiss. Unfortunately, the Swiss missed something. As a matter of fact, they missed the fact that there was a new development after 1968 called the Quartz Movement as it relates to watches. And the Swiss so thought that they had it under control and that they were going to always be the ones in charge and the cream of the crop in that particular area of the world that they just totally dismissed the Quartz Movement. So striking was their oversight that in just a handful of years, they went from 62,000 Swiss watchmakers to 12,000. And the world of watchmaking moved past them, and, and they did so because they failed to make a paradigm shift. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term. A paradigm shift That's more than taking 20 cents and moving it around on the table making it look different. A paradigm shift is something that occurs when the norms that are accepted suddenly get changed on you. In Matthew chapter 5, in verses, particularly for today, verses 17 through 20, Jesus makes a paradigm shift. It is so striking that those people of his day must have heard this and many of them sat back in amazement saying, did I hear that right? Jesus gives a paradigm shift. Here's one of the things that the Swiss teach us. We need to not bank on what we've always done as being sufficient for where we're always trying to go. I had a friend. Actually, this man is a world-class scientist. He was in our church in Edinburgh and when I told that, illustration about the Swiss and the watches. I didn't realize it, but he was actually listening that day. It's a dangerous thing for a preacher. You never know when people are actually going to listen to what you're saying. Like today, maybe a few of you listening out there. Uh, And so this man, he's actually from India, but he came through the American education system. He is one of the most brilliant men that I've ever met. You'd never know it just talking to him. But when he starts talking about his field and you see that he is in fact a world-class scientist. He goes all over the world doing lectures to China, to India, all over the United States. He had Teresa and I over to his house a 
a couple of years ago. And as we were over there, he began to show me some of the stuff that he was working on, some of the stuff he was developing. You see, he's a specialist in the citrus industry. And he was developing a strain of citrus that would grow much quicker than normal, which means it would produce more quickly than normal. It also could grow in almost no soil. So we were at his house, and he was showing me the stuff he was working on. I was flabbergasted at how smart this guy was. I'd known him for, you know, for maybe 15, 18 years at that point. I had no clue that he was as smart as he was. And he said, I wanted to let you know this and see this because you remember when you told that story about the Swiss watchmakers, and I... Well, I'm kind of like a lot of people. I don't remember what, I, what the preacher said, you know. So I was going, well, yeah, I think, I, yeah, okay, I remember saying that. And he said, I was listening to that and I thought to myself, you know what, I can use that in what I'm doing. He developed a teaching curriculum with that basic idea in mind, this paradigm shift. He said, I did it. And I use it all over the world because I realized that what you were pointing to there is common across the board. People settle into what they know, and they just don't get off of that very easily. And yet, there, are the, there is the need for us from time to time to break out of that mindless behavior and see things in a different way, a paradigm shift. Jesus fires a shot across the bow of first century Judaism... And that shot across the bow that he gives in these few verses in Matthew chapter 5 reach all the way through history to us today. Is it possible that you are ripe for a paradigm shift when it comes to your religion? Let's look at this together, make a few comments before you go to lunch. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says this. And remember now, this is the Sermon on the Mount. I started this series last week. We started with the end in mind. You remember that? Jesus says, the wise man is the one who hears my words. And he's like the guy who builds his house on the rock. And the foolish one is the one who hears my words and doesn't do them. And he's the one who builds his house on the sand. You remember all that? You remember what the invitation was last week? Okay, all right, let me just stop. Are y'all there today? Is, is this a painting of people out there? Or are you really out there? Last week, that passage, that's over in Matthew chapter 7, the invitation that I gave to you was, are you willing to say today, whatever Jesus says, I will do? That was the invitation last week. This week, we come back now towards the front of this sermon. We're really not at the beginning yet. We're at the thesis where Jesus pulls it together. Everything else that comes after this builds off of this one truth. And here's what he says. You got to do it differently than what you were trained. One more time. Verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets... I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the key verse. For I tell you 
Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. A paradigm shift with verse 20. Jesus takes the established norm of his day and he totally obliterates it. Well, that's not really right. As a matter of fact, we see a few verses here where he comes back and he says, I'm not really doing away with the old. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say a few things about it in a few minutes. What he really says is, I'm coming so that you really understand the old and see it at work, but I'm taking you to a new level. Let me just stop and ask you. Are you ripe for a new level in your religious life? I'm not necessarily talking about your Christianity. I'm not talking about a new teaching. I'm talking about where you are, how you live your life every day. Is it that abundant life that we talked about a few weeks ago? I believe that churches across America today are full of people who are stuck in an old paradigm of what it means to be a Christian and they're locked in to the very thing that Jesus says you got to get beyond that in this passage. Is that you today? Did you walk in here today kind of wondering, why am I going to church? And I know the reason some people came to church is because mama made me. Or it may be because my wife made me or my husband made me. It may be because, well, that's just what I do. It may be because it's a great business deal for you and you make contacts there. There's any number of reasons people come to church. My question to you today is not why you're here. The question is, how's it working out for you, your Christian religious approach let's look a little bit at the standard first because there's no paradigm shift unless there's some kind of a norm that's already in place let's look at these people that jesus was talking to now by this time he's on a hillside up near the sea of galilee and he's dealing with a bunch of people who are first century jewish people life's hard for them Now, I didn't realize as much uh, the difficulty of it until Teresa and I spent some time over in Israel in the month of May. And I saw how even this day, how difficult it is for them to make ends meet, for them to eke out some kind of a living on the land up there. That group of people that were there were used to having to work hard for a living and have not much to show for it. Some of the... Uh, extremes of that area in which they live were so difficult that they didn't even have a long life expectancy. It was a hard, hard life. And that's even before you take into account the fact that the Roman people, the Roman government had conquered them. And these Jewish people to whom Jesus is speaking, not only are having a hard time eking out a living on the land, they're also living under this iron boot of the Roman army, an occupied force who exacted heavy taxes on them. What little they made, much of it went to pay off the Roman tax collector. A difficult life at best. And then on top of that, they had this group of people that Jesus talks about in verse 20. The scribes and the Pharisees. It's bad enough that they had a foreign occupation force there. Now they're also dealing with those religious leaders inside their country who make life hard on them. The scribes and the Pharisees. Two different groups. Actually, there's some intermingling of them. There were some Pharisees who were actually scribes. The scribes were actually an appointed kind of position. They were the teachers. They were the official religionaires of the Jewish people. They're the ones who took the law, the Old Testament as we know it, 
And they would take it and they would interpret it and they would say what it meant and they would try to give their commentary in places where it wasn't exactly clear. You know, things like thou shalt not murder, that wasn't good enough for them. So they would come up with how, to, how that comes out and how do you play that out in your day-to-day life. And they liked the attention that they got. They would walk around in flowing robes. They were the ones that we find in the New Testament referred to as rabbi. And as they went out among the people, the people recognized who they were. The scribes liked it that way. And it wasn't enough that they had the law, so they would interpret it. And then they would say to the people, you have to keep this. Not just what God said about it, but what we say about it. And then it's also the Pharisees. A term literally translated that means the separated ones. They were the professional religionists of the day who were the ones who were the caretakers, the, uh, the ones to make sure, the police, if you will, to make sure that the Jewish people didn't stray too far away from what God said. So these two groups together, by the way, these two groups and a couple of others were the ones that ultimately would hang Jesus on a cross because they didn't like the way he took them on. And they come together into that first century Jewish hard life and they, well, I, I say it this way, they figuratively slap people upside the head with the Bible. You're not living the way you ought to live. You're not doing what you ought to do. you got to get it right. They were the ones that the people of the first century Jewish world would have looked at and said, okay, they got it right. Surely God's pleased with them. We don't like them, but surely God's pleased with them. And so in verse 20, Jesus says of that crowd, your righteousness has to go further than theirs does or you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. We'll talk about those terms in just a second, but let me stop for a minute and just kind of put some of that in perspective. Teresa and I saw a little bit of how uh, restrictive this religious system was for people when we were there in May. Part of the time we were there... Uh, involved the well we were there for two weeks and in between those two weeks was a weekend and for them their sabbath they call it shabbat is on saturday and it starts at dark when darkness falls on friday and it goes till when darkness falls on saturday and so as we were making our way into the city of jerusalem darkness was falling on friday night so it was about to start sabbath and as we got on to uh, at the uh, hotel where we were staying we were staying on the 11th floor that's where our room was And our guide said, now be sure that you get on the right elevator. Well, I'm not, you know, the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I thought all the elevators went up. I, I didn't know you could get the wrong elevator. But he said, now there's one elevator, you'll notice that when it's Shabbat, when it's Sabbath, there'll be a light that'll come on. You don't want to get on that one. All right, I'll take your word for it. Well, we started figuring out, we found out that the reason you don't want to get on that one is because if you're on the 11th floor and you get in that particular elevator and you hit 11, it's going to go to the second floor and stop. And then when the doors open and close, it's going to go to the third floor and stop. And the doors open and the doors close, it goes to the fourth, and it stops on every floor. You know why it does that? Because the Jewish rabbi system has said for that commandment that says honor the sabbath and keep it holy 
They've expanded that to mean a lot of different things. You can't work on the Sabbath. So if you go more than one floor at a time, that constitutes work. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not working at all. I'm standing in an elevator. And yet, they have it set up that way because they don't want to offend. They don't want to break the law or the traditions. I have a friend. I was telling him about that experience. He said, I can do you one better than that. I said, okay. He said, back in the day when I was over in Israel, years and years ago, I used to smoke a pipe. He said, I got on one of those elevators, and it was Sabbath, and uh, as I got on, so did a Jewish rabbi. And he got on the elevator, and he said, you can tell how long ago this was. He said, I took out my pipe, and I took out a match, and I struck the match, and I went to light my pipe. But before I could even get it lit, this rabbi goes ballistic. I said, well, I've never seen a rabbi go ballistic. I'd kind of like to see that, I think. Maybe not, maybe not inside an elevator with him while it's happening. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, he got all agitated and he was looking at me and he, was, he, he said, I could tell he was incensed at what I had done. And it dawned on me that the reason he was upset was because I built a fire when I struck the match. And according to Jewish tradition, honoring the Sabbath means that you can't start a fire, among other things. Now, those are just a couple of modern examples By the way, if your car is parked out here, the horn's going off. Somebody better go check it out. Those are a couple of modern examples of what it was like in first century Jewish life when these religious leaders came in with their heavy-handed religion. These people striving to make a living under the boot of Rome and under the umbrella of an oppressive religious system. These professional religionists, Jesus takes on a paradigm shift. Before I go there, though, let's stop for a minute and take that picture and put it into this time. How do people outside the church think about us as Christians? You thought about that much? You see, it's easy not to think about that, really. We come into church, and it's a nice, comfortable place, and we set it up so that it's comfortable. I don't have any problem with that. And we build relationships, and we have our friends here, and I don't have any problem with that. I think that's all very important for us as God's people. But yet there is that part of us that can get so comfortable inside and we build our walls high so that we don't have to look outside and don't have to go outside and we end up having this little microcosm that's not really all that realistic about a lot of things. And that might be room for us to have a little bit of a paradigm shift today. How do the people outside of the walls of our churches think about us? Case in point... I go back to a situation I had when I was a youth minister many years ago. You see, the point that I'm trying to get to is that those people outside, they don't necessarily have a whole lot of, uh, they, they don't really care too much about what we think. And they're not just signing off and endorsing what we hold to be as truth. 
I had this kid who came, started coming to youth group when I was a youth pastor down in South Texas. He started coming because he had a friend in high school who was one of the leaders in our youth group. He was a senior in high school and a brilliant kid, and he loved the Lord, and he was one of our discipleship leaders there. And, and uh, Jim started bringing his friend to church with him. And I could tell pretty quickly that this guy uh, was not a church guy. As a matter of fact, this guy that he started bringing, Charlie was his name, uh, Charlie didn't really have a whole lot of use for church except that we gave him pizza from time to time and there's quite a few pretty girls there. You know that kind of guy, right? And so Charlie uh, started coming and he was kind of plugged in, but he wasn't really plugged in. And the more I started trying to invest my life in him and talk to him and try to point him towards the Lord, uh, it became obvious that he didn't really want to hear any of that. He came from a terrible home situation. And so in my dealings with him, as I tried to talk to him about God and about Jesus Christ and the plan that God had for his life, he just would throw up these walls. He just was not interested. Life at home was so bad that he came one day and he pulled me out of a church service and he said, I just wanted to come tell you goodbye. I said, what's going on? He said, I'm leaving home. I said, well, let's talk about this. And so we went back to my office and during the church service, I tried to counsel with him about the decision he was making. He's 18 years old. He's old enough to do what he wanted to do, but he was running from a situation. And I tried to talk to him about it. And when it became obvious to me that he was going, there wasn't anything I could do about it. I said, all right, Charlie, I I want you to hear me say this. Jesus Christ loves you and he has a plan for your life and you need him as your savior. And I laid the gospel out for Charlie as clearly as I could and laid the decision before him as easily as I could and as straightforwardly as I could. And Charlie looked at me and he said, I don't want any of that. He said, this may be the biggest mistake of my life, but I'm not doing that. And he turned and he walked out. There's lots of Charlies out there. There's a better than average chance that most of you work in offices full of Charlies. They're not buying what you believe. Now, why is that? Why is it that we come to church and we look across a crowd like this and we get real pleased with the number of people that we have here and for every one who's in here today, there's a thousand out there who won't go to church? Why won't they? I think that part of the reason might very well be because they've known too many Christian people who are stuck in a paradigm that Jesus says here is not the right one. You see, what we've tried to do is pick up the mantle of the scribes and the Pharisees and pull it through. We love rules and regulations. I know that most of us are sitting there saying, well, I don't know that I like those rules and regulations. No, what you mean is you don't, li- you don't like the ones you don't like. The ones you like, you like. And I know that sounds like double talk, but that's the reality of it. If it's something that you hold fast to, then you're going to expect other people to hold fast to it. I've seen this through the years. It's true on the outside looking in. You know, I have two daughters, well, one daughter-in-law and one almost daughter-in-law. Both of them have been waitresses in their work life. You know what they told me? 
the day they hate working the most is Sunday. Sunday lunch, to be exact. You know why? Because that's when church people go out to eat. The hardest people for a waitress to deal with are church people who have been at church. Does that drill for you? That doesn't make sense to me. Except that maybe we say one thing and live another. That's true as we deal with the outside. It's true as we deal with the inside. I had a guy not too long ago, different church, who took me to task after the service. Pulled me aside, actually in the hallway where a lot of people stand around, and he said, you said something in your sermon, and you said this word, and you meant a different word. And I thought to myself, this guy's a genius. It's a miracle. He can read my mind. He knows what I meant. Except he was wrong. I tried to say to him as nice way as I could, believe it or not, I really think about what I say before I get up there, and I'm pretty sure that I meant what I said, not what you think I was wanting to say. And it just totally torched him. As a matter of fact, when I didn't just, you know, bow at his feet, he said, uh, well, huh, and turned around and walked off. And I thought to myself, you see, when you get legalistic, then you lose people. And you see, that's the point. That's the paradigm shift that Jesus is talking about here. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees, much like modern churchianity, focuses on the stuff, on obedience to the rules. But Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as we will find from this point forward, Jesus says the paradigm shift, the normal that you grew up with, won't cut it. He says this is a religion of the heart. It goes straight to the heart. I'm I'm not saying, nor was he saying, that we shouldn't be concerned about the do's and the don'ts. As a matter of fact, look at verse 17. Not, I didn't come to abolish these, he says, but to fulfill them. In fact, we can say that fulfill. We could even kind of invert it and say Jesus is meaning for us. I didn't come to do away with that stuff. I came to fill it full of new meaning for you. We're going to find that in verse 21. He says, you have heard that it was said. To those of old. And then he gives what they said. And then he'll turn and say, but I say to you. And he pumps it full of new meaning. And he does that time after time. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you. And he takes it to the heart. Verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife. Verse 32. But I say to you. Time after time, Jesus says, this is what it said. I come to fill it full of brand new meaning for you. And every time, he takes it to the heart. It's not that he's saying you don't have to worry about the old. In fact, he says not a bit of that is going to go away until it's fulfilled. And he's the one who fulfills it. That's verse 18. And again in verse 19. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook on what's been said. He just says there's got to be more to it than that. So let's bring it to a close this way. What is it? that he wants you see what we find in the life of Christ all the way through the New Testament and ultimately it's why they put him on a cross these scribes and Pharisees because he took them to task on the essence of what it means to be a Christ follower Micah chapter 6 
This is one of those prophets. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Listen to what the prophet says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? What he's saying is all of the law, all of that lockstep adherence stuff, is that what God wants? And he goes on to say, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You know what that says? Remember the sermon I had a couple of weeks ago? The two great commandments. They came to Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? He said, first of all, you love God. And secondly, love people. That's the law and the prophets put together. That's the paradigm shift. And so for a system that was locked in to blind obedience, Jesus says, you got to do better than that or you just won't get it. Let me ask you, if you will, just bow your heads with me for a few minutes. I'm going to continue to talk to you. But I want you, as best you can, just draw a circle around yourself there. Is it time for a paradigm shift for you? Is it possible that you came in here today with a nice, comfortable religion? It might even be that You've made a profession of faith and Jesus is your Savior. And yet somewhere you stepped out of the heart part of it and it's just become a system of what you do and don't do. The old Baptist saying, we don't dance and we don't smoke and we don't chew tobacco and we don't date girls who do. Jesus would say to us, if that's our approach, you've got to do better than that. It is a heart thing, this thing called Christianity. Jesus came into a religious system that was refined and dead. And he brought life to it. How's your religion working out for you is it something that works so well for you that you want your friends to have it unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven that's not just the place called heaven although that's involved it is also the realm of God's authority and all that comes with it, all the benefit, all the expectations. And it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you see, I say that, and I know that some of us sit there and say, well, I have that. But it may be that the paradigm that you're working from is, I made a public profession of faith, and I accepted Christ as my Savior, and that's about the extent of my relationship with Him. And what He really wants is you. A genuine give and take 
kind of relationship with a living God who will take you places in your life that you could never go alone. Are you in need of a paradigm shift today? Father, we come asking you to go with us to that deepest level. Show us those things about ourselves that we really don't want to see. And where we have relegated you to be some distant, far-off God, we confess that before you. We ask you to bring us back to that moment when we accepted salvation in the first place, when you were so real and so there for us that we knew that that's what we had to do. And for many of us, Father, that's the last time we had that kind of contact with you. And yet your heart cries out for us to come home. We pray these things in the Son's name, Jesus Christ, who brings us life.